0: Painted houses and and um, fixed up a neighborhood, you know, block basically. There was um, a couple of hundred teenagers there, and they we picked a block and we painted every house on the street and we mowed lawns and fixed fences and did plumbing. I don't know who is that bad off that they needed me to do plumbing, um, <laughs> but um, we we spent a week doing that. And and one of the worst things I remember from my childhood happened then. Um, I I was away from home. I I. I uh, did not have my parents around or in contact with me, and I became really sick in a very embarrassing way. Go ahead and fill the blanks in on that. Um, That really sick in a very embarrassing way was the sort of thing that would be very noticeable to anybody who was sleeping in a sleeping bag near me. And and in order to deal with it, I, I had a bottle of cologne. It was actually the first bottle of cologne I ever had as a kid. And I poured that cologne all over most of the items of clothing that I brought with me, um, and it was bad. <laughs> I can't believe Michael's the only one laughing at this. <laughs> it was, it was, it was brutal. It was, and and I'm not going to lie. There's a person in this church who wears that cologne, <laughs> and it's over 20 years later. And every time I'm around them, I think I, I get a little bit of a cramp. and and i am really not exactly just like um the studies have shown that that the olfactory senses like your sense of smell is the strongest memory trigger you have it it creates an imprint and it it you know and there are smells that we we experience and i'm sure i'm not the only one who has this maybe not that story but like when i was in college there were lilac bushes Um, in front of the library and and every time you walk by them in the spring, you got that smell of lilacs, right? And and I I can't smell lilacs now without like getting really reminiscent of college and reminiscent of days in the library and reminiscent of Of girls that I dated at the time though. None of them are anywhere near as awesome as my wife Um, but I it reminds me of that and I I brought my my little bottle of perfume this or my wife's little bottle of perfume I I smell this and I I can think back to the day I met her. You know, like just the smell of it reminds me of the day we met. And and I remember it very clearly. I actually remember meeting her and walking away and saying that I would marry her. Like I I knew the day I met her that we were going to be married. Um I I I knew that that I should feel sorry for her for some reason I don't know anyway. Um but that smell like I can play it all out. Does anybody had that experience like we're a strong smell um, um, just triggers that memory in you. Um, as we kind of move into the next section of the book of John, we're working our way just right through the book, okay? Um, we're going to be looking at chapter 12, um, and, and we're going to be talking a little bit about perfume in the ancient world today. Um, because what John covers here is three signs, and John associate, associates these signs with what's about to happen to Jesus... And what's going to happen in the future. Right. And so like chapter 12, he covers three things and it's called the book of signs. Right. Like comment commentaries will sort of block off chapter 12 and say, this is the point where John covers signs, because like in the first half of the book, he talked about the public ministry. We talked about that, you know, quite a few times here. We're, we'll get back to that next year. Um And then over the last few weeks, we talked about Lazarus, which is sort of the last miracle and the beginning of Jesus about to be executed, right? And then, like, right after that last miracle, he has these signs. Um, If you were here last week, you'll recall, like, after Jesus brought Lazarus back from the dead, um, there were a bunch of folks who gathered up, the leaders of the Jewish faith gathered up, and they said, all right, this Jesus guy, he is a problem, and we are going to have to kill him. And so they start planning his execution. Um, they start planning his assassination. Um, John was um, the author of this book. He was there. Um, he includes a lot of unique details. Um, another thing that happens in this, John is writing to a Jewish audience all over the world. And some of the way he writes reflects that. And you're going to see that really in this chapter, uh, like in a huge way. And we'll get to that. But, you know, heads up. Um, The other thing that's going to happen is John emphasizes the fact that Jesus is moving towards glory. Now, when we talk about the cross, like for Jewish readers in the first century, to be crucified was the most humiliating, awful, like terrible way you could die. There's actually a line in the Old Testament that says that like cursed is a man who dies by being hung from a tree. And it literally means like if you die by being hung from a tree, it's a sign that God just hates you. I mean, and, and so, like, for a Jew to be crucified was as bad as it got, and it was humiliating, and it was awful. And crucifixion, to be honest with you, like, as far as ways to go, go, was was one of the worst that's ever been devised, okay? Like, it would sometimes take, like, a week to kill somebody crucified. Um, it was unbelievably painful. The Romans had figured out where all of the nerve endings went and what would hurt you the most, and they did it, Um So um, we're going to be looking at um, these signs and we're going to be advancing into this crucifixion thing, this humiliating experience. But as John talks about it, it's important to understand John does not talk about the crucifixion as a humiliation. He talks about it as a glorification, which is crazy, right? Like we don't think about humiliation as being glory, right? Like nobody walked away from the Seahawks game last week saying, man, those guys were glorified, right? (laughs) they didn't they said why would you pass (laughs) because it's humiliating they they made a bad call right like and it was a humiliating experience and especially to be beaten by the patriots with fully inflated footballs um (laughs) it, it it was humiliating nobody ever looks at humiliation and says that's a good thing but for john john says listen um, Jesus being humiliated shows his willingness to be brought low for our sake and his willingness to be obedient to God, even to the point that it like was this horrible experience for him. And God reveals his heart in Jesus, and that is God's glory. Um, when God reveals himself, because God is like pure glory, right? I, I compared it to my wife. My wife is pretty, and like when she you know, gets up in the morning, she's pretty. I get up, and I look like a train hit me. Um, but she she kind of carries around her beauty like there. Right. And I, I, I see it. I smell the perfume and I think about it. And it's just there. Like God is just like that. When you see more of God, you're seeing more glory. Right. Because it's just who God is. God is glorious. Um, and so as we move into the crucifixion, it's all about Jesus being glorified um, and all about God's glory being revealed in Jesus. Um, so as we jump into it, in the preceding chapter, like right at the end, Jesus and his disciples took off and went into hiding, right? They, I mean, they really went into hiding. But they went into hiding knowing, like Jesus knew they were coming back, that they were going to be in Jerusalem for the Passover. Jesus actually went to the capital probably for every Passover during his public ministry. We're not going to get into that today. Just an FYI, this was a habit. Um, it's part of how Jesus operated. And so they stayed in the area. Passover is a huge deal to the Jews. This is like Christmas and Easter rolled up into one, right? And you had to go to the capital to celebrate it right, right? And so, like, like um, they're in the area, they're in hiding. And then, six days before the Passover, meaning six days before Jesus is um, put in the ground, okay? Um, this would be a Friday. The next day is Sabbath, so they wouldn't be allowed to work. And then, like the following Friday, he is on a cross like dead. Got it? To give you some context as to what's going on here. They come rolling into Bethany, which is a few miles outside of Jerusalem. And they have dinner at at a fellow named Simon's house. This is a cool story. If you read all of the Gospels, or Matthew and Mark, excuse me, Matthew and Mark both have the same story. But they tell it with a slightly different perspective. Right. Um, Mark tells us, I think it's Mark tells us that it's at Simon's house. Simon the leper who Jesus healed. But um, John does not include that detail. Uh, Six days before the Passover, Jesus, therefore, came to Bethany where Lazarus was, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. So they gave a dinner for him there. Martha served and Lazarus was the one reclining with him at the table. So they are at dinner. um, Not long beforehand, Lazarus is physically dead. And Jesus brings him back to life, right? And then he runs off, like before they could even really have a party about it, he takes off. So now this guy shows up at your house. What's the first thing you're going to do? You're going to have a party, right? I mean, if you bring my brother back to life, oh my gosh, you know we are going to we are going to show you some appreciation, isn't it true? Um, my uh, brother-in-law was a Marine, and, and he served tours in both Iraq and afghanistan and uh he was in a situation where um that did you ever see that american sniper movie the the fella that movie's about um offered cover for for him while he was in a combat zone and he watched that movie and it was really a big deal to him he's like that guy protected me i was there that guy protected me and like like he was emotional about it right But that's understandable. Anybody who protects my life or saves the life of somebody I care about, they are going to get all kinds of love from me, right? And so they're having this big dinner, this big appreciation thing. They're at the table. Tables in this culture were low to the ground. And you would lay down on a cushion at the table with your feet pointing away. Anybody know why your feet were pointing away? Because they were gross. Um, think about growing up or living in a, on a farm. You know, I, I don't know. I've been to some farms around here. I know the Bitses have a farm and I've been there and they have a large pile in the middle of the corral and you know, what's in that pile. Everybody knows, right? They wear muck boots up to their knees to deal with that pile, right? These guys didn't wear boots and they didn't have waterproofing. They wore sandals and they got around on animals. And so you laid with your feet away from the table because they were gross, Right? And this was not a nice smelling culture. We experience a great deal of comfort in the fact that, like, I don't know, I bathe sometimes twice a day, right? Like, I, I want to smell good. I want my house to smell good. I don't, you know, we, we have a very high standard in our culture for that sort of thing. This culture, not at all. Didn't bathe often. It was not a regular occurrence. Um, it was not a very nice place to be. Um, and so they're laying at the table and they're eating. Martha is serving dinner. She's the oldest sister. It would have been a very natural thing for her to do. Um, Lazarus is there. So you've got Jesus and the guy who he brought back to life. And in the very next passage, Mary, who's the younger sister, right? Mary, who approached Jesus and didn't even say a word. Or Well, she said, if you were here, my brother would have lived. And then she wept, right? And she wailed and cried. And Jesus was like, okay, well, let's just go bring him back to life now. Um, Mary comes in. Mary, therefore, took a pound of expensive ointment made from pure nard. Now, nard was an oil that came from India, northern India. It was brought by caravan. It was really expensive. Okay? It was more expensive than printer ink. I don't know if that like gives you a good scale. It was um, a pound in this culture would have been like a Roman pound as a unit of weight, not of like liquid. Um, If you were English, that would matter. But we we understand pound is weight. Right. It's about 11 ounces. And so it is 11 ounces, like 11 weighted ounces of this liquid. Right. Um, We were trying. I was talking to Terry. I spent about an hour trying to figure out how much volume of that is. It's less than a gallon, um, probably maybe like, I don't know, a, a quarter of a gallon or a little less. Right? It is a big bottle of perfume. This bottle of perfume, they tell us, would have been about three hundred denarii, a year's wages for a day a day laborer. And so, like, think maybe eighteen thousand dollars. Okay? I mean, just to offer a little scale, eighteen thousand dollars. She walks in with the eighteen thousand dollar bottle of perfume. Um, this oil, and it was a custom in this, like, first-century Jews, it was a custom during celebration days. If you were having a party, you would take these little bottles of oil and you would break them over your head, and you would pour it all over yourself, and you would smell nice, right? And that's, you know, it was sort of like the equivalent of a bath. Um, <laughs> I keep telling my wife, but she won't buy it. Um, <laughs> And so she comes in with the $18,000 bottle of ointment. And it says that um, she anointed the feet of Jesus and wiped his feet with her hair. Um, John emphasizes the feet for a reason. If you read the other Gospels, what you find out is she broke it over his head and covered him with this stuff. Right? John doesn't mention it because John is making a point, And we're going to get to his point in a second. But Jesus is head to toe covered in this oil. Right, um, this oil would have hung on him. Um, Jesus smelled like this oil when he was tried. Jesus smelled like this oil when he hung on the cross. Jesus smelled like this oil when they put him in the ground. This is that close to the event, and it's that big. It's a huge amount of this perfume. It's almost a ridiculous amount of this perfume, right? And he is covered in it. Um, I even have a notice to what it probably smelled like—gladiolas. Uh, does that sound right? That's a real flower, right? I can just make that up. Okay. Um, so it, it would have smelled a little like gladiolas. It was a it was a flowery, pretty smell. Um, when it says that she anointed his feet and wiped his feet or and wiped his feet with her hair, um, in that culture, the guy whose job it was to wash the feet of folks who came into the house, he was the lowest guy on the totem pole, right? He was the unpaid intern. Right. That nobody liked. You, you did not wash people's feet like it was considered to be the lowest place in the house. The fact that she dropped down, like, first off, poured eighteen thousand dollars worth of perfume on him and then dropped down and washed his feet um, was a sign that she was being un, just hugely submissive. Right. Um, I'm going to tell you again. I love my brother. You bring my brother back to life after he's died. I'm, I'm going to be really appreciative, right? And I think what we're seeing in Mary here is Mary is like, oh, thank you so much. Like she recognizes the the hugeness of what he did. But beyond that, she recognizes that there's something pretty special about this guy, right? I mean, I don't know. I, I don't know anybody who brings people back from the dead, right? Some doctors do. <laughs> I I think I'm the only one who caught that, and it's hilarious. Um, A hand went up. That's all I'm saying. Um, So she recognizes there's something special about him, and he brought my brother back. And so she puts herself in a lowly position next to him to show her submission and her love for him. Right? I mean, it's a huge deal. The fact that she uses her hair now. Now watch this. In that culture, a first-century Jewish woman never ever, ever took her hair down in front of men. The only man who was a, like supposed to see a woman's hair in the first century was her husband, period. She kept her hair bound up because it was considered to be, it would almost be like her walking into the room topless. Got it? It would be considered a sign of very loose morals. But she's not even concerned about what the people around her think. She's so concerned about tending to them that she just Loses all interest in everything else she doesn 't care if she 's humiliated she doesn 't care if she 's embarrassed she doesn 't care about anything she she wants to serve him and so she like like washes his feet and dries it with her hair, which is kind of a humiliating thing in and of itself right but in that culture carried a huge significance so what mary has done is showing is showing the lowest possible degree of submission and the highest possible degree of like abandon and love for this man, right? Um, Why? Well, one of the things we talked about in relation to the previous chapter, and this is why it's a huge deal. Now watch this. We talked about how um, what Jesus is looking for is not for the people around him to watch him perform miracles and be impressed, right? People were impressed by the miracles, and they kept pointing at the miracles, but Jesus is like, hey, I'm the resurrection and the life. It's about me it 's about me it 's about me it 's about jesus it 's not about all the trappings it 's not about the you know singing the hymns it 's not about anything else. Everything that we do as believers is about Jesus and what Mary does here is she demonstrates like abandon for him like this is an act of worship that is almost at the top shelf right i, I like culturally there 's almost nothing that stands next to it like like this for a first century Jew this would have been the most amazing like sense of appreciation to the point of embarrassment there 's a story as I was studying this, I kept thinking about david there's a story about David like um, bringing the Ark of the Covenant to the temple for the first time or into the city for the first time, and he 's dancing in front of the temple like the the thing for a king to dance in public was embarrassing, but like he shed layers of clothing and like danced in his underwear in front of this thing because he was more concerned about worshipping God than looking kingly, right. I mean, to put it in scale, please, nobody dance in your underwear, especially you, Michael. Um, (laughs) Worship on your own time, buddy. It's preaching time right now. Um, (laughs) (laughs) And I ate breakfast. I'd like to keep it. The the house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. Now, watch this. Like, it was so much perfume that the whole house smelled like it, right? Um, And for a first century Jew, there's a saying, right? Um, and, And it's almost like, you know, a, uh, a stitch in time, what saves nine, right? Um, a bird in the hand is worth two in the bush, right? Like we all know these sayings. The Jews would have known this saying, and what it is is, um, like like a good smell throughout a house, from the kitchen to the bedroom, um, is a good name that brings about a good sense in the earth. And so there's a part of this where like John is tipping his hand, he's saying. The whole world knows who Jesus is at this point, and they are blown away by it, right? Um, And so he's kind of tipping his hand. You don't get that because we don't use that saying, right? But for a first century Jew, this would have been very obvious. Uh, Four to six. But Judas Iscariot, one of the disciples, he who was about to betray him. So Judas is the one who, like, goes to the the priest and says, hey, I'll – I'll help you arrest Jesus if you pay me 30 pieces of silver. um, Said, why was this ointment not sold for the 300 denarii and given to the poor? He stops and says, why would you pour all this perfume all over this guy? Why on earth did you do that? We could have given that to the poor. Um, By the way, John goes on because John has some insider knowledge John is a businessman. John knows all sorts of things about like um, some of the background details, and he says he said this not because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. And having charge of the money bag, he used it to help himself to what was put into it. So <laughs> Judas is the is the is the banker. You know anybody play Monopoly as a kid? Anybody ever steal from the bank because you were the banker? It's <laughs> you and me, buddy. It's just us. <laughs> I borrowed. Um, (laughs) um, Judas was the money keeper for the group. He carried the treasury, and he filled his pockets from it, right? Judas is kind of a jerk. Um, But Judas says, wait a minute, that's a huge amount of money's worth of perfume. We could have helped the poor. Um, But he wasn't concerned about the poor, nor was he really concerned about Jesus. Now, watch this. John puts these two right next to each other, puts these two right next to each other um, for a reason. We see Mary offering... Like a huge, worshipful, submissive act. And Judas, who is all about himself, right? Judas, who says, oh, man, think of everything I could have done with that money, right? Um, And so we have a contrast. And that contrast isn't over. It's going to come up again. Um, We go on. Jesus said, leave her alone so that she may keep it for the day of my burial. For the poor... You always have with you, but you do not always have me. So Jesus says, "Hey, hey, 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 stop!" Right? Um, The way this is phrased is funny, and we get a little bit of a hint from the other accounts. What he says is, "This bottle of perfume." By the way, this is not something you would just buy. I can't spend eighteen thousand dollars on perfume. Anybody here? I mean, you probably could, but you'd like live in the street afterward. The the family probably had some money. She may have bought it at some point and been saving it for a special occasion. Or the other possibility was that it was an heirloom, right? Something that was very valuable that had been handed down for generations. But whatever it was, Jesus says, listen, that bottle of perfume, it was there for this reason. It was there because I'm going to die. I'm going to my grave. And she's preparing me. Um, one of the things that we found, and uh, we find in like Matthew's account of this, Matthew says, when she does this, she's basically preparing him for burial because they would cover dead bodies with like spices and oil and stuff like that to keep the stink down. And so, like that, he basically at this point is dead man walking, right? And he's got a nice smell about him. The other thing I'm going to offer here, and this is kind of an interesting perspective, and I I uh, I figure it's worth mentioning. Um, as Jesus went to the cross, as Jesus suffered and died, as Jesus was tortured, as Jesus bled out, as his you know, heart burst in his chest, um, as he was lanced with a spear in the very end, with nails in his hands and his feet and a crown of thorns on his head, having been whipped to the point of nearly dead, um, as Jesus hung there, he had a smell in his nose. Right? Um, ultimately, what Jesus did on the cross, the reason we celebrate, the reason we talk about it is, every rotten, awful, terrible thing that you and I have ever done, every rotten, awful, terrible thing that we've ever thought about doing, everything that has ever been done to you. When Jesus went to the cross, he took punishment for all of that crap, stuff. Um, So that when um, I come to God and I say, I am so sorry for all of this, and I bring myself in a place of submission, I'm forgiven. And I think maybe Jesus hung there, and thought about this loving, submissive, worshipful act. And remembered, I'm doing this for them. That smell in his nose reminded him of this person that he loved. These people that he loved that he was dying for. Um, he was prepared for death for. Um, John brings this out because he's going, to, he's going to the cross now. Like he's going to die. Um, and this is sort of this prophetic thing. Um, saying the death is coming, right? He's been prepared for death. Um, And this is the beginning of sort of the downward slide in the text where we go to the cross. Um, What she did was amazing and worshipful and awesome. And Jesus says, you know what, Judas, shut up, right? The other thing that's kind of interesting is, here's the other parallel John puts in there. Um, She's prepared me for the grave, And it's complained about by the guy who facilitates it, sends him to the grave, right? It's kind of crazy. Um, John is a great, great writer. He's a well-educated man, and he brings about a lot of contrast in this. And every one of us has both ends in us, right? Every one of us sins in ways that, like, Christ had to carry. Every one of us rebels in ways that, like, are offensive to God. Every one of us sins, like, I mean, it's just there. It's part of who we are. We're sinful by nature, um, but every one of us through his grace and his spirit is in a, like, we can all bring ourselves to a place of forgiveness and submission to him. Like it's, it's literally both of us standing in the room together, right? Um, one complaining and one worshiping, um, nine to 11. I don't know why it says seven to 11, um, when the large crowd of the Jews had learned that Jesus was there, they came, not only on account of him, but also to see Lazarus, whom he had raised from the dead. So the chief priests made plans to put Lazarus to death as well, because on account of him, many Jews were going away and believing in Jesus. So all of a sudden, word gets out, right? And people know, oh, Jesus is in Bethany. Let's go see him, right? Because you could see Jesus and you could see the guy he brought back to, back to life, right? They're almost... Um, it's almost like a perfect combination. You get a twofer. If you show up, you can meet both of them. Um, and a following develops. This is important because the next section of this chapter um, is going to see kind of the result of it. And the response from the, the priest, the response from the folks in power is, you know what? We're just going to have to kill Lazarus too. I, that's so blind, isn't it? Like, oh, Jesus is bringing people back to life, but... We better kill him because he might be a problem. And we might as well just go ahead and kill the people who know about it because it makes sense. Um, as we kind of go forward from here, these signs, like, like, they become almost like a snowball rolling downhill or an avalanche that lead into the cross. Um, but just an FYI, like, crowds of people are following him now. Um, the other thing I thought was interesting about this is... Um, I imagine you could walk up to Lazarus at this point and say, you know what, Lazarus, we're going to kill you too. And Lazarus is going to say, been there, done that. (laughs) Right? And God brought me back. Jesus brought me back. Um, And ultimately what Jesus does on the cross and his resurrection on Easter Sunday promises us that even though we die and all of us one day will, we will live once again with him. Like, if we have faith, if we submit, if we, like, live under his lordship, um, that grace and forgiveness is for us. So what do we do with this passage? Um, I want to suggest that there's a tension there, and it's a hard tension, um, because there's always two voices that happen when we spend money, right? There's voices that say, I want to do this in submission to God, right? And I think that while none of us can duplicate her act, I don't think there's anything wrong with doing things to honor Jesus. Does that make sense? Um, I've been in churches where they fought over spending money to replace the carpet. And half the people said, well, we could use the money to help poor people. And the other half said, well, you know, what if we try to make the church look nice for God? Um, And there's a tension there. And I think that there's an end to this where, like, when we walk away, we can back up and look at it and say, um, how do we worship God? How do we worship with the things that we do to honor him? Um, and we can ask ourselves, how do we honor God? Um, yes, we pray to him. Um, let's uh, close in prayer, and I don't think we have a closing song. We're way long. Sorry, everything kind of got long today. Um, let's pray, and let's, uh, let's go out and let's worship him in our, our lives. Heavenly Father, I pray that you would be with us. pray that you would um, touch our hearts and minds and open our eyes and help us to know you more, and even more so, Lord, I pray that you would create in us hearts of... of uh, love and submission that would approach you and approach the son in such a way that just um, just we want to worship you through and through we want to put ourselves like in a place where we're in submission to you and where we demonstrate our love to you in everything in our lives Um, in christ's name amen